Pelicans have bits of magnetite in their eyes, which causes their vision to have a colored spot in it, always pointing to true north. Turtles have it in their bellies so they can feel Earth's magnetic pull, pull from anywhere in the ocean. I get drunk every night and wish I knew how to write poetry. It's just a different kind of lost and found. Which is also why humans show no new signs of evolution. We change the world around us, not ourselves. That's why the term walking on eggshells is still relevant. Our skin isn't tough enough to stop sharp things. We make everything else evolve. And I think it's sort of poetic that we put poetry on paper. We write our emotions onto something more fragile than we are and expect it to survive. But I'm an American man, so the evolution of my poetry should be etched onto a bullet that never misses. The evolution is violent action. This PVC pipe is a homemade bomb full of tear gas that smells like your dead mother's perfume. The kind she wore only on special occasions. The medics are poems full of magnetite that pulls knives from your backs. Missile silos full of cinnamon and clove. Minefields of hope. Instead of anthrax in your mail, it's fun dip. Iron Maiden bear hugs from a man who is crying and saying, I want to love you. I just don't know how not to hurt people. You forgive him at the end of the poem. The evolution of this poetry is the guerrilla warfare for love. It is a ghillie suit made out of teddy bears for people who want to be held but don't know how to ask. It is mining equipment for third world countries of love. It is the change I can't make in myself. It is the internal true north I am looking for. All right, everybody, that was John Tobias. This is Say Something Anything, a poetry and art and music podcast brought to you by Puna Press, which is an independent poetry and art press based in San Diego. Um, I'm at Cafe. I haven't said the name of this place, even though I've done a bunch of recordings here because it's really intimidating. Like, I want to say it's like Krakatoa or something, but that doesn't sound right. But anyway, we're in Golden Hill. <laughs> and before uh, we get into the conversation y questions, we like to ask all the guests how do you drink your coffee? Um, just a little bit of cream. That's it. Nothing, nothing special. Nothing special. Yeah. Cool. We're drinking beer now, actually. Like. <laughs> yeah, in my experience, it's definitely beer. Definitely. <laughs> um, so you gave me a little bit about your background beforehand, and um, and I asked you when you first came into writing, and it was at a really young age. First grade is when you started reading and writing poems and answering them into this book that you read over and over again which coincided with this other thing that was going on with you at the time, which was that you had cancer. Also, another more tragic thing to be dealing with at such a young age. I am wondering what um, what the connection is between the two. Was there a relationship between you uh, starting to write poems at such a young age and going through this disease? I... I don't think there was. I think I think what it was is, is luck more than anything in that when you have cancer, you have a lot of downtime. And so um, I was given this book, Dragons, Dragons, by Eric Carl, I think his name was. And, uh, and I would just, I mean, it was my favorite book. It had pictures, it had poems about mythological creatures. It was really cool, and, and I just read it over and over and over and over again infatuated with 
with the idea. And so one thing I started doing was, you know, kind of writing my own and drawing my own pictures and inserting them inside the book. And I was trying to convince people that I was a co-author. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people were, were kind enough to sort of go along with it. But uh, I think, I mean, if that hadn't happened, I, I still might have gotten into poetry. But really it was just... I guess the stars aligning and something beautiful coming out of something that might have otherwise been tragic. Right, yeah, mm -hmm. and and so that's what I was wondering, and not to sound insolent or anything, but if you hadn't been sick at the time, I wonder how into writing and literature you would be yeah. today. And I don't know, it's a, it's a scary notion. I have... Um, my friend's mom works with um, elderly people, kind of like a hospice care, and they had a woman not too long ago who uh, picked up painting in her downtime, and she found out that she was inherently very talented at it, and she was very disappointed that in the end of her life she finally learned this about herself, you know, and she's, I, I could have been a painter, she said, you know, and it's, you know, just sometimes things happen and you get a chance to really try something, so... Yeah. It is also really interesting. I think it serves to that notion that really uh, beautiful, amazing things will come out of more tragic and sad obstacles in life. Then you said you sort of lost interest in poetry. You didn't really think it was cool anymore until you got back into music, I guess, several years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've... It's a new thing that's been coming up on this podcast recently, actually, is this intersection between poetry and music. It just turns out, though, all of the guests have been uh, musicians or played music of some kind um, or otherwise just really involved in the scene in one way or the other. And I know that you said you collect the lyric books from cassettes and CDs, or, or is that something that you still do yeah, now? Not, not anymore, no, <laughs> no, but, yeah. but when, you know, when I was younger, the, you know, the, the bands and the artists, they would actually print the lyrics inside the books, inside the CDs and the, and the cassettes, and so that was one of my favorite things to do, was actually just sit down and read the lyrics, you know, because now it's sort of a lot of guesswork, and and filler and what are they actually saying and right have you ever thought about you know songwriting or do you is there any particular type of music or a song that uh, sort of feeds into your writing or inspires it in some way um modest mouse the whoever writes the the lyrics for for that band i i'm in love with now i have to go online and i'll scroll scroll through different bands and then read the lyrics and so there's certain bands who are more known for their lyrics than they are their music and i think modest mouse is definitely one of those one of those bands for sure yeah. so. you can tell when a band is invested in the words that they're saying and i would agree with you on that exactly but songwriting yourself, did you ever dabble with it or think about it? Not so much, no. And I, I can't really carry a tune, and so I think I get caught up in, in how it's supposed to sound with music. That mm -hmm. maybe maybe it would be cool if someone took something I wrote and turned it into a song. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So a little motorcycle noise. <laughs> yeah. So Lizzie Wan, who I had on the podcast before, uh, she mentioned you, and it was in. Um, it was in a segment of the podcast where she was encouraging people to go to uh, readings and events and open mics and things like that. And so she mentioned you saying that she had seen you at the Rebecca's open mic and had never 
heard you or seen you anywhere else before, but that you were really, really talented. Um, and then you also told me that you haven't given much thought to publishing or it's not really something that's on your mind much. Um, so, even, but, and you are being published mm-hmm. in the Aztec yeah, yeah, Literary yeah. Journal, which is really cool. But, um, so, so it seems to me like you, just based on what Lizzie said and what you said, that, uh, putting your writing in the public eye isn't that important to you, or is it, or if it isn't, why do you write, what do you do it for? It, it is and it isn't. It's, it's really nice to be recognized, and um, I received a lot of recognition in, um, at Rebecca's from Lizzie and, and Eber and um, Chris Vinoy once or twice, Rudy G, you know, all those, all those people. They're, uh, they're really cool, and, and, it, and it's nice to go and do something like that, very intimate, and read your poetry that way, and, and you get immediate feedback, and... Um, so, um, the, the, the only reason I, was, uh, <laughs> I submitted anything to the Aztec Literary Journal. I was lying before. We're actually recording this podcast in a motorcycle racing track, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. So, uh, so yeah, the, the only reason I, um, submitted anything to the Aztec was I had a, a teacher who encouraged me to do so and, and a few friends who really liked what I write and so I decided to and I got an email back and they said oh, well, we're going to publish you so but I just I just love to write I like the way it feels I'm not a huge fan of slam poetry but I love to listen to it more than I like to read it because you I think you get more out of it especially when have you ever heard a really really bad poem but the poet is reading it so passionately you're okay with it? Yes. You're, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I kind of think that that is uh, almost the point of slam poetry is demands to be mm-hmm. read out loud. It's, it loses so much of its effect when it's just uh, yeah. read on paper. Exactly. So you would say that performing and reading out loud to an audience holds more weight to you than having something published mm-hmm. in uh physical journal or something. That's interesting. Um, And so I checked out the poetry page that you sent me, uh, Hello Poetry, where you publish, or you just post a lot of your work. um, And what were my notes on that? Oh, yeah, so first of all, you have a lot of drunk text poems on there. Mm -hmm. And I saw number 73 is the most recent. Are those real drunk text poems? They they are, actually, (laughs) yeah. They, um... Luckily enough, the uh, the website it used to not be very mobile phone friendly, but as of lately it has been, and so it's just more like a copy and paste after. And and I know Hemingway says, you know, you uh, you write drunk, drunk and it's, and it's sober. sober. That's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I feel like it's not as real if you, if you edit it. You so know those I mean? are unedited. Those are unedited. They they're dr- <laughs> and they go straight to it. There's no. I, I just I feel like you lose something. Uh-huh. Something gets lost when you sit down and you're saying, "Well, I'm gonna rework how I felt at the time to make it sound more poetic." I mean, also on that site, you had a lot of the drunk text poems, but overall, you had a ton of poems, over like 300. Is there anything that you have? 
planned or any idea? Like, is there something that you would want to do with all of these? It's just... I'd, I'd like to put them together into something. I had um, a friend, of, a good friend of mine. Um, her name's Jessica Dunn, and she took a publishing class, I think at SDSU. And one day she comes up to me with a chapbook collection of my poems, and she's titled it, um, I'm Fine to Drive. And it was just a I collection. Like it was a collection of her favorite poems, and she yeah. she reformatted them and she edited them, and and I was okay with everything. I wasn't gonna you know complain. And um, we got another friend of ours named Karen, who's a photographer, to to do the the cover of it. And we really we really went to town on putting it together. And um, I was selling them for a little while, and then I decided, you know. I just want to give them away to whoever will take them. That reminds me of, of uh, Roland Tisuela. He's actually a slam poet who we had on the podcast a while back. And um, when he first got into poetry, he he just like put out a call to all different writers and poets and musicians and was like, if you have something they want to share, like send it to me and we're going to make a book. And they did the same thing, printed it at Kinko's like, during their off work hours, bound it together. He's like, we bound it together with uh, like shoes lace or whatever he said and then just stuck it in uh they put it like in the shelves at barnes and nobles and just little bookstores all around like just to get it out there um which i think is a really cool thing about poetry that people who care about it just want other people to see it and experience it and it's not about recognition or making a profit it's just you think this thing is moving and beautiful you want other people to experience it too yeah is there anything else that you want to mention or talk about any advice you want to give to somebody advice I don't know well okay so you know thinking about the beginning of our conversation um and (laughs) me coming into this because I had cancer and I just tried something you know I, I think it speaks volumes to just trying things you know anything just try it you don't know you'll never know if you're good at something or not unless you try it and if you're not good at it and you want to be good at it then you've still got time for that so i have one more question for john because we talked about it earlier and i meant to uh, ask him about it, and then we got caught up in conversation and totally slipped my mind. But John did this really cool project, which I'll I'll just let you talk about. But um, it has to do with sending love letters to the wrong people, essentially. So now you go out and explain it. Yeah, that's that's sort of how it, I don't I honestly don't even remember what started the idea, but what it was is I bought I don't know I bought maybe 60 or 70 postcards I bought a lot and I just wrote short love poems on all of them and they they all started under the pretense I don't know if you will get this or I don't know if you still live there or or whatever and so it's these these love letters or love poems written from someone to someone else so I'm pretending to be someone writing a letter to someone that I've invented and they're going to these random addresses and these people are receiving these postcards hopefully thinking that the person before the person who lived there before them was supposed to be the original recipient and it's it's 
the goal was to make love, the idea of love, more tangible, and that you could hold something in the palm of your hand that isn't yours, but it's still some form of love, and you could almost steal it and keep it for yourself, or you could expand upon the story, or you could tell your friends about it, or you could save it, do whatever, and, uh... That was, that was really fun because I got to pretend to be different people. I got to pretend to be people from different eras and, and I got to change the way I wrote. And, uh, and But the craziest part is I have no clue what happened. You know what I mean? It's just, it's all hope. It's all just, you know, I have to be comfortable with what I did and, and, and hope that these people who received these, you know, sort of... <laughs> changed their days in some way. It made their lives just a little bit better knowing that, you know, people still do things like write love letters to, yeah. to old flames. Because you never put any sort of return address or anything like that. No, yeah, I was really careful not to do that because at the same time I was wondering how many marriages I might ruin. <laughs> you know, at least, if anything, I could start, you know working for divorce lawyers <laughs> who, you know, when, when divorce is on an all-time low, they can call me up and I can end some marriages. That's the very um, clever and poetic way to sneak your way into a good job, so right, right, kudos right, on that yeah. end of it. We don't need Hallmark. Yeah, no, I'm, that's just uh, such a, like I was saying, it's a cool and unique project. I am so glad that I got to talk to you and meet you. The way that Lizzie made you out to see was like sort of this... Uh, shadowy figure just came to this open mic once in a while and read and was so good and then nobody else knew so I was like I gotta meet this guy and I'm really glad I did that's awesome that's yeah. awesome yeah Lizzie's uh she's really cool I really like uh I really like her voice, her tone when she reads. It's uh, it's really unique. It's 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 um, almost really soothing, you know. Totally. You're just sort of like, okay, I'm just gonna sit back and, and have another beer, and I could just listen to this for a little bit longer. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, she's one of the ones who is really immersed in the song writing scene, the acoustic music scene mm -hmm. um, back in the early 2000s, and I think you kind of pick a little bit of that up when she reads because it almost is. I feel like song-like in a way. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, John, so much. And now, um, if you have a second poem to close out the episode, you can take it away. Okay. Yeah. It's a it's a three-part poem. I uh, so they were in, inspired actually because um, this podcast allowed me to finally start writing again. It had been a while. Like <laughs> I wouldn't call it a dry spell. It was just more like me not being able to come up with anything and so I sat down and I watched a bunch of BBC National Geographic videos about animals which is where that first one came from and, and so the second one is sort of another spin-off of that um, and they're untitled I wrote them very recently but it was just so this is an exclusive first listen it, it is they, they both are but it was I was super excited when you messaged me because I was like okay the, 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 the fire is under my ass. I have to write something. And it felt amazing just to sit down and finally just start writing well, things great. and that tracking. Makes me feel good right? Yeah. Like, yes. yeah. Thank you for, you know. Right so, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll start. This is a three part poem. Your brain doesn't have an inside voice. And you would be a liar if you said loving you doesn't take patience. I think of a forest full of caffeinated cicadas. Your love is overwhelming like that. 
far less scary. <laughs> Boundaries are things you press your whole body against just to see if they are real. Holy shit, I am real. Just in case I ever wasn't sure, good morning. Two. I had a dream. I was a worm inside an apple again. The mouth, a remodel made of so many white wrecking balls. I felt the scream before I heard it. The apple shattered. I wasn't eating it. I just wanted to be enveloped in sweetness. But you let me live on your porch with your night-blooming jasmine. Three. Are you still watching Netflix? My parents couldn't afford a bed, so I spent most of my life sleeping on a couch. Couches. Or those fold-out foam chair futons. The back of a car for a while. Basically chair-shaped things. I see our reflection in the black screen behind the question. I have smoked the last cigarette and drank the last beer. You whine in your sleep for no reason until I squeeze you. Right on. Everybody, once again, that was John Tobias. I am Kara Goldfarb, but this is Say Something, Anything. If you are a poet or know a poet who you think should be on the show, hit me with an email at kara at That is K-A-R-A at punapress.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll speak to you soon.